It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines, a panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday in Southern California, then up and down the West Coast, and who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host John Riley from our studios in San Diego. It is a March Madness weekend, and we are <laughs> off and running in the NCAA basketball tournament. John, good afternoon. Great first games upsets along the way, and a ton of basketball between now and a couple of weekends from now to crown an NCAA champ, and it started just the way I thought it would. Yeah, I mean, these this Thursday and Friday, I get no work done because <laughs> I'm watching the games all the way through. There's been some big upsets. I was uh, on the edge of my seat throughout the whole Aztec game, so this is one of the best times of the year. We have a lot of topics on the table. We're going to run through a lot of things as we normally do as part of Hacksaw's Headlines on our Thursday podcast. But, John, before we get into the big stories of the day, just remind everybody about the unique thing that we do at the end of the podcast, the Fans Forum. People on live stream can join us and be co-host with us at the end of the show. Yeah, so you can be a co-host. That means you can participate, just like the old 690 days, 1090 days. You can uh, you know drop a call to Hacksaw. Just leave your comment in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. You'll get involved in the Fans Forum segment. That'll be at the conclusion of Hacksaw's Headlines. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including on YouTube. And a reminder, when you look at all of our YouTube stuff, you like it? Give us a thumbs up along the way and go to my website. It's all written. It's really in-depth information about everything. LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Topics on the table? Let's talk basketball. Basketball. This game between the Aztecs and the College of Charleston was like a street fight. I mean, th- th- it was brutal. It was looking ugly to start, but the Aztecs finished them. It was messy, per the norm. It was a win, per the norm. And as you would say, win and survive, march on. Yes. San Diego State survives against Charleston. You know, this was a test of wills. The left hand, Charleston's Cougars, we're going to run the ball and we're going to shoot threes. Right hand, Aztecs, no you're not. We're going to force you into a half-court game and see if you can survive. There were stretches in which Charleston kind of dominated. But in the overall big picture, Brian Dutcher's guys imposed their will on Charleston. They made it a half-court game. They made it a game of the big guys. They wore them down. They held them off and they won. Now, Charleston averaged 80 points per game. They didn't get anywhere near that in a 63-57 loss. Charleston averaged 10 threes made every game. They went 5 for 24, and it seemed like every shot they took was a frantic desperation shot with a body on body or a guy in their face or a hand up there. Nothing came easy. Now, I give them credit. They attacked the basket offensively, and they scored more points inside than I ever thought possible because I thought that was San Diego State's forte. Their bigs would deny them. But what happened is the Aztecs went out to the three-point line, and they defended Charleston and made every, every possession really hard for them. And who won the game for the Aztecs? The bench bunch. Hmm. Arup came off the bench. Jaden Ledee came off the bench. 
Micah Parrish came off the bench, and when they got done, those were the difference makers in the game. It was not Mm -hmm. Matt Campbell. It was nobody else on the floor. And the Aztecs survived because of what they got from their bigs off the bench. 23 points, 18 rebounds from those three kids. Yeah, Micah Parrish had done nothing all day, couldn't find the basket, hit a three, came back with a clutch block shot in the final seconds, hit couple of free throws right at the end to seal the deal. San Diego State gets a messy, ugly, smudge-painting victory to shove their record to 28-6, and six, and they're going to go play Furman. 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 <laughs> the Paladins, who knocked out the University of Virginia. My wife was yelling at the TV this afternoon when that game finished. So the Aztecs... They found a way to do it. It's just typical San Diego State basketball. It's not clean. It's not pretty. It's not sexy. And one other thing. Do you have the phone number for CBS Sports? Can we just call them and ask them why nobody in studio, the analyst, nobody talks San Diego State in the pregame show? Mm -hmm. All they went was guy to guy to guy to guy from Charles Berkeley to Clark Kellogg and talking about college at Charleston. Right. Do you ever pay attention to what's going on here on the left coast? Do you ever pay attention to the way San Diego State wins? That coach is 147 and 46. If you find the phone number for CBS Sports, please call. (laughs) Because respect these guys a little bit because they're marching on to play Furman with a legitimate chance, John, I think, to go to the Sweet 16. I've I've had my say. I've had my rant. You're going to tell everybody on the live stream what you think. You know, this is – it was a great game. And, and, you know, in the beginning, it got off to a rough start. There were all these turnovers in the first half. And it just made me feel like this this, uh, Charleston team was tough. They were grinders. They were a reflection of their coach. You know, he was saying in the pregame press conference, you know, my guys, they eat gravel for breakfast. And, you know, it was that whole thing. But, man, it was like a – street fight. It was thuggery. These guys were banging into each other. Uh, but the Aztecs kind of warmed down and prevailed at the end. I'm really proud of these guys. And they they got the monkey off the back for Dutcher. He's finally got his NCAA win. They broke that streak of Mountain West losses. And so now, you know, survive in advance. We're going to play against Saturday. And the path to the Sweet 16, there's, a, there's an open lane. Uh, 31% shooting. That's what Charleston has to take home with them back to South Carolina tonight. 31%, 5 for 24 on threes. Aztecs found a way to get it done. Really good program. They do what they have to do, whether you like it, whether it looks good or not. They got themselves a victory. All right, let's go on now. The big picture, the first day, first weekend underway. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really interesting games here that we're going to break down uh, because already we've had some big upsets and the the round of 32 is going to be on Saturday and there's some good games that are coming this weekend. Well, the big storyline, obviously, is Virginia losing to Furman. The second big storyline, Arizona losing to Princeton of the Ivy League. Think about that. It's the first time an Ivy League team has won in the tournament since 1985. Arizona, Arizona with all this talent, Arizona can't beat Princeton. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. Now, obviously, there's more games on Thursday night, more games on Friday. They're going to impact what the second round will look like. But these are really intriguing second round games. Uh, You've got Iona-UConn. 
Is this is this the farewell stretch of games for Rick Pitino at Iona? His name is everywhere that he's going to take the Georgetown Hoyas job uh, to try to resurrect a once proud John Thompson led program. Duke is stomping Oral Roberts. That's the end of Oral Roberts is maybe being a Cinderella team along the way. Kentucky Providence will be a great game because you got transfers from each school playing on the other team. That'll be fascinating. Into the second round, Aztecs Furman. This will be a carbon copy of what we saw on Thursday. Furman's going to shoot threes. They shot, they hit eight threes in the first half to keep them in the game with Virginia, and they finally beat the Cavaliers at the end. So the Aztecs will have the same set of circumstances against Furman. I wonder if Furman is gritty enough, because I'll say this, College at Charleston, it's a rock fight. Oh, yeah. I mean, they hung in there. I was really impressed with how tough they played. Uh, Purdue, Memphis. Purdue obviously has got uh, the seven foot four Canadian idiot center. Very good basketball player. Memphis has got great athletes. Penny Hardaway's guys are going to run the floor. That that could be an upset of a number one seed there. You got Kansas, Arkansas in the second round. Bill Self may be back on the bench as the head coach. KU's playing really, really well. And then if if these two teams win their first round games and they should. You got Gonzaga and you got TCU, and that's going to be a matchup. And if whoever comes out of that might wind up playing UCLA next weekend if UCLA does not stumble. So fascinating upsets. It's always part of the first weekend, and then the big boys play the big boys for the most part when we go towards the second round. Yeah, I mean, the, one of the games that went down today was the Arkansas beat Illinois, and it was looking sketchy there for Arkansas. And I have this, like, love-hate relationship with Eric Musselman. Oh, you, would you take a number stand in line? <laughs> so, you know, he's a local San Diego guy, and he's a Mountain West coach, and so I was kind of rooting for him when we went to Arkansas, but he just behaved like such a jerk in Maui, you know, and so you're just down on him there. So now, you know, they, they pulled off a victory, you know, tip a hat to him. But it's just, it's interesting. Like you get the, like you say, Princeton knocks off Arizona. I mean, aren't Ivy League schools technically Division Three? I don't think they give out athletic scholarships. Yeah, Division One in basketball, Division One in hockey, but mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's a strange mix. And how is that possible? Arizona's got all this great talent. Their bigs are really good. Mm-hmm. And Princeton plays slow down basketball, half court game. Runs the clock, frustrates you, gets you out of rhythm. Princeton Tigers beat Arizona. Oh, my goodness, what a shocker. Okay, let's move on. we got NBA basketball to talk about because this story is not over by any stretch. Yeah, this is a tough one. I mean, a lot of people are reacting in the media to John Morant. I saw Barkley and Shaq commenting him about him on the TNT show. But what's the latest? I mean, Adam Silver is now getting involved. He ordered John Morant to the Memphis Grizzlies to a face-to-face hearing. Uh, And then he promptly handed out an eight-game-without-pay suspension, which amounts to over $2 million in lost salary. Morant checked himself into counseling. I think the league recommended he do that about a week ago. Morant's been under investigation for five different incidents, three of them involving guns. Now, he issued a, a public statement on Thursday morning in which he was really remorseful and said his his inner circle have led him to make a lot of bad decisions. And he's in a better mental space now than he's been in a long period of time. Well, those are all nice words. They'll have to be followed up by different actions. And the incidents with guns, it to me, is, is really bothersome because he's got a posse and he has 
There's, a, there's an old phrase in sports. You can take the kid out of the ghetto. You can't take the ghetto out of the kid. Mm-hmm. He's got to make different decisions about who he's going to be friends with off the court. And he needs to separate himself from whatever bad element is there. But the other factor is he's really hurt his team. His team is scrambling to try to stay in the playoff race and not fall out. And he's going to wind up missing a complete total of eight games and a bunch of those games they could have won. And they've been ravaged by injuries, too. So we'll see if he follows his words that he said today about being a different person. But, you know, my biggest fear, he's going to make another mistake. He's going to wind up shot in an alley if he continues Mm -hmm. to run with those people. And you don't need guns unless you're going to bad parts of town with your posse. I hope I hope this experience, this counseling, has driven home the message about his responsibility. Yeah, I mean, well, a lot of these NBA alumni, they come in and they, they coach these guys about how to handle your life off the court. So hopefully he just gets some really good advice and makes some adjustments. You know, not a lot different from what Fernando Tatis has gone through, although in a different category. But these are young men that are growing up, and uh, hopefully he's going to step up to the plate. Okay, on we go. Before we talk NFL football, and boy, there are a lot of topics on the table in the National Football League. Remind everybody about subscribing. Subscribing and fans forum. Yeah, so on the fans forum segment, we've already got some questions coming in. And I could we got soccer questions coming in. We got questions about March Madness. We're gonna do the fans forum segment at the conclusion of Hacks Hacksaw's headlines. That's where we take all the fans forum comments. You could still get involved. Type in your question on the live stream. Um, we even got a donation from one of our questioners. Thank you very much for that as well. Um, but please also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on the audio only platforms, and you can subscribe. Subscribe on YouTube. And I'll remind you, if you like NFL football, go to my website, Hacksaw's Headlines. It's all written. You will find a listing of every NFL free agent transaction this week. And this has been a spectacular week for player movement. Just go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Scroll back in the archives each day this week. You'll find my NFL page. I guess the words you wanted to use on the next topic on the table are... End, End of an era. era. Yes. I mean, it, the the saga with Aaron Rodgers th- feels like it's getting to a conclusion, and there's been some big changes in Dallas. Uh, Aaron Rodgers goes public a- after weeks and weeks and weeks of meditation and therapy and whatever he was <laughs> doing in his cellar and says, I want to be traded. The Packers are going to move him. The Jets are the team. At least at this hour, the Jets are the team. Two issues. One. $58 million worth of money has to be restructured for the Jets to take on the contract to compensation. And that's a big issue. I was told that Green Bay was offered a number two draft pick. That's pretty good compensation for a 38-year-old star quarterback. But then Green Bay came back, and I was told, informed the Jets, we want another number two if he elects to continue to play beyond this season. Hmm. Now, two twos? For a guy that might only play two years, now that's a pretty steep price. Um, I don't think the Jets are going to have a problem restructuring the contract to fit all their cap stipulations if he wants to play in New York. But I just can't get rid of this haunting feeling that this is Brett Favre all over again. And how did that end up with the Jets? Not very good. So we'll see what transpires in the next 48 hours. Packers gave him a Wednesday deadline. He indicated 
He was telling the Packers, I want to play for the Jets. We'll see now where these next steps fall. In terms of Dallas, they've gone through restructuring. Ezekiel Elliott's had a phenomenal career, over 10,000 all-purpose yards in about an eight-year span, 80 touchdowns, has had significant injuries last two years. There was no way Dallas could keep his $10 million-plus contract which had an 18 million cap figure, could not keep that 10 mil contract after they franchise tagged the other young running back, Tony Pollard, and they gave him 10 million. Now, there's an intriguing angle here. Late Wednesday night, the report surfaced that Tampa was going to contact Ezekiel Elliott once he cleared waivers, and the Buccaneers, who are retooling their team, would bring him in. But now there's a report on Thursday afternoon that Dallas is rethinking and saying maybe he stays here if he takes a 50% pay cut and goes from $10 million down to five. Hmm. So stay tuned for that. But if these guys change addresses, yeah, I think it's an end era. Your thoughts on AR? Your thoughts on Zeke? Well, the thing with AR, which I think is kind of funny, is – when Brett Favre left the um, Packers, he went to the Jets, right? Did not work out. Yeah, it didn't work out. So now about 20 or so years later, 15 years later, now it's Aaron Rodgers' turn to go to the Jets. I've seen some people on Twitter joking that Jordan Love is going to go to the Jets in the year 2040. <laughs> so this just seems to be the pattern. I don't know what the hell is going to happen with Aaron Rodgers. But with Ezekiel Elliott, do you think he's worn out? Does he have gas left in the tank? A little bit. He's had knee injuries, and he, he's had he's had injuries the last two seasons. And I think their offense changed a great deal <clears throat> with Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore. They they threw a lot more with Dak Prescott. So I'm not going to say he became an addendum piece to their offense because I still think he's a really good running back, but I don't think he's a 10.5 million dollar running back any longer. So there's the 150 thousand miles on that body. Next question around the NFL. Yeah, so all the we already got one quarterback here, Aaron Rodgers, potentially moving. But there's been a lot of other guys. We've talked about some of them, but there's even more names that are moving. Well, we punch up the list here on the board, and, and obviously these transactions are coming fast and furious. And this whole thing obviously started uh, with Derek Carr going to the New Orleans Saints. And oddly, Jameis Winston, who was about to be released, took a pay cut from 12 mil down to five and has agreed to be the backup because he likes New Orleans coaching staff. He's going to stay with the Saints as the number two guy. I thought he would have gone on the market and tried to rent himself somewhere else mm-hmm. as somebody's starter. So that that's kind of a bit of a surprise there. But Derek Carr is the first one. Jimmy Garoppolo never got to Houston. And everybody that I had networked with said he's going to Houston because of coaching relationships with D'Amico Ryans, who had been in San Francisco. He didn't. He turned left at the stop sign, and he went to the Raiders. Uh, they gave him a three-year, $67 million contract. The guy, uh, he's won a lot of games. Guy's had three major injuries. That's a big issue. He's not playing behind a great offensive line. But obviously, they got all the skilled people around them. Uh, so that that's kind of intriguing. They, they franchise tag Josh Jacobs. Uh, they've got uh, the wide receivers. They did trade Darren Waller, who's had a lot of injuries the last couple of years. He's gone, and that was a bit of a surprise move. But Garoppolo will be the trigger man. Uh, for the Raiders there in Las Vegas. Uh, Tampa Bay, evidently they've closed on a deal with Baker Mayfield. It's probably a one-year rental. Uh, you know They've gotten rid of so many players in Tampa. It's, it's just going to be a substandard team, I, I think. But Baker Mayfield gets, gets a, a bit of a lease on life there. Washington signs Jacoby Brissett. He's the ultimate 
journeyman quarterback who can be productive. He did a decent year during the Deshaun Watson suspension in Cleveland. And, you know, prior to that, he was a carryover quarterback after Andrew Luck left the Indianapolis Colts. So they they see things in him for Brissett going into Washington to, to kind of help uh, the Washington Commanders franchise. Uh you know, the other guys that are moving, Taylor Henneke has, has been productive as a backup in Washington. He's going to Carolina. I don't think he's going to start because I got Desmond Ritter from the University of Cincinnati. Uh, but obviously, Atlanta's made a lot of, a lot of changes uh, to their team. Andy Dalton wound up in Carolina. Uh, you know, he once upon a time was a star in Cincinnati. Andy Dalton has gone to Carolina, probably is the insurance policy for whomever the number one draft pick is going to be uh, with Carolina. And I think he's a proven pro's pro. Denver wound up with Jarrett Stidman, who Josh McDaniels weeks ago was saying, we really like this guy. We started him last two games of the season. All of a sudden, he's out, and he goes to Denver uh, to be part of that whole rebirth of Bronco football under uh, Sean Payton. Uh, 49ers at the last minute get Sam Darnold. So he's the only veteran quarterback with any experience. The other two quarterbacks are coming off surgery. I don't know whether Darnold's going to be a starter or whether it's going to be Trey Lance, but Darnold is a a one-year rental uh, in San Francisco. And then Mike White, who I thought was pretty productive as a young guy with the New York Jets, winds up going to Miami as the insurance policy to Tua. Tagovaiola. So those are the quarterbacks, virtually all the marquee quarterbacks have now come off the board in the first two and a half days of NFL free agency. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, Sam Darnold has always been interesting to me because when he was at USC, everyone thought he was going to have a great NFL career and he's never quite panned out. I mean, what what seems to be the problem? Well, bad teams. He went to the Jets, really bad franchise, got beat up, got hurt, went to Carolina, Maybe he was part of the group that would try to replace Cam Newton, got banged up, got hurt, didn't stay on the field, didn't play well when he was on the field. I mean, Carolina was so bad, they brought Baker Mayfield in after he had gotten bounced out of Cleveland. Uh, sometimes you, you relocate and you, get, you hit, hit it with the right coaching staff and the right job responsibility and the right format, and suddenly you're playing better. So we'll see. I, I just think, you know, historically in the NFL, John, bad teams – draft at the top of the board. They draft quarterbacks. Those quarterbacks go in because they're on bad teams. They get beat up and a chunk of time their career does not amount to a hill of beans. So we'll see if this lease on life in, in San Francisco helps him if it's positive. Everybody seems to like him as a student of the game, but just haven't been able to stay healthy. It's very interesting to me. But I think if he goes to San Francisco, you got to think Purdy is going to be number one, right? But Purdy's out for six to nine months with the elbow surgery. Ah, uh, okay. You know, when they open their ATAs in a month and a half, mm-hmm. it'll be Trey Lance and it'll be Sam Darnold. Purdy won't be there till the end of training camp, and then who knows what kind of setbacks he has. When you get into the regimen of throwing as many passes in practice as a quarterback has to throw, how does the surgically repaired elbow respond? Now, the thing that's good about Brock Purdy, they did not do, quote, Tommy John reconstructive surgery. They did what they call brace surgery, which is a lesser surgical procedure, and you can strengthen the elbow within three months. So he may be in training camp, and then we'll have to see how he holds up to the regimen of having to throw as many passes in practice as need be. Now, there's another topic on the table in the NFL you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, because there's been all this movement. We know where the players are going, but there's a lot of teams that are losing players. It's just hard to keep track of it all. It is absolutely stunning 
how many good players have left some of the best teams in the NFL. San Francisco has just taken a massive hit. Now, maybe maybe this is part of their plan, that they rented all these veterans, they got good, they can't keep them all, they're letting a whole bunch of them go because they're going to get draft pick compensation back for the guys that have left. But San Francisco has lost seven players. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo is the one They've lost five off their defense. They lost their starting center, Daniel Brunskill, the San Diego State kid, who had really become a rock-solid cornerstone Mm -hmm. in their offensive line. Uh, And then they lost Jimmy... Jimmy Ward, which really stunned me. Ward's been there forever. He's a cornerstone safety in the back end. Number one draft pick years ago. He jumped and he went to Houston to be with D'Amico Ryans. Ryans is bringing all these former players that he's coached in with him. So San Francisco has has taken quite a bullet uh, at at the beginning of free agency. Philadelphia, they lost a huge defensive tackle. Javon Hovland. Uh, I was really surprised with that defection. He went to the 49ers. I'm saying the Eagles. Eagles are the ones that have taken the big hit there. Uh, They also lost Miles Sanders. They let him go. Uh, This was a guy that had over 1,200 yards running the football in a breakout season. They let him go, and they signed Rashad Penny, the ex-Seattle Seahawk and the former Aztec, who's had nothing but injuries and only marginal success in the NFL. And Philadelphia also lost five defensive players off their roster. So they're, they're really staggering. Tennessee has is, is cleared the boards of high-money guys. I don't know if Derrick Henry stays there. He's still there right now. He's got a cap figure of $6 million. But the Titans have gotten rid of a ton of people in the offensive line. Ryan Tannehill's still there. I don't know if they're going to transact him at a Nashville before they're done. So that that's a big loss there. The Rams just lost their uh, record-setting field goal kicker, Matt Gay. He has jumped. Of course, the Rams had purged themselves of veterans like Bobby Wagner, Leonard Floyd, and the trade of Jalen Ramsey uh, to Miami. Kansas City in a bit of a surprise. Uh, they did not resign their left tackle. And I, I was really surprised. Orlando Brown was a guy that they brought in from Baltimore a couple of years ago, played pretty well. But he wanted an enormous amount of money. And Orlando Brown left and went to Cincinnati. Uh, Four years, $64 million. And Andy Reid said no. And they replaced him by getting one of the top young tackles from the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Kansas City also lost J.J. Schuster, which really kind of surprised me because he had found himself in a very different role. I thought was tremendously productive, and he jumped, and he went to the Patriots on a three-year, $33 million contract, and New England's offense is so skitterish. It kind of surprised Schuster did not want to stay in KC, but maybe the Chiefs only offered him a one-year deal. They say, no, we're not paying you $11 million a year for the next three years, so so he's he's out of there. Uh, and then the other one, Tampa Bay, obviously, you know, Brady gone, the running back Fournette is gone, they've released Cam Brate, the tight end, uh, they've lost a lot of players on offense. And Cincinnati, and this really bothers me, Mike Brown historically has been cheap. And now because they were so bad for so long, they wound up getting Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And they make all this money and they sell out all their games and have sold out all their season tickets because Joe Burrow's there. And then Mike Brown sits there on his hands and doesn't spend any money and his two safeties are gone. Jesse Bates Hmm. 
gone out of there. And and those two guys they had on the back end were kind of the cornerstones of what they do defensively. Now they did they just did sign Orlando Brown from Kansas City at left tackle, but it's typical Mike Brown on the way he does business. So like I say, the the first two and a half days of free agency my head was falling off my shoulders. There was so much data and so much information. And we're not done yet because we're still waiting to see what the Chargers are going to do with this mess with Austin Eckler, which has now kind of changed the Maybe that might change the whole face of their franchise. Your reaction? Well, I mean, in our last episode, we broke down the Chargers salary cap problems. You got all these players that are making $30 million, $25 million. Um, I'd imagine a lot of the other teams in the NFL are in under similar salary cap pressure. Were the 49ers in that situation? Is that why they had to let go of a lot of really good, talented players? No, I think San Francisco's methodology under John Lynch is a little bit different. They've been bringing guys in on short-term contracts, coaching them up, and those guys turn out to be pretty good football players, and then they let them leave, and then they get draft pick compensation. The 49ers just got seven draft picks from the league as compensation for all the guys they lost last year, Hmm. and they're going to get more draft pick compensation. Now, these are not number one picks. The comp picks begin after the third round. But Frisco got three third-round draft picks. You know, those are draft choices 100 to 110. Now, that's pretty good in addition Mm -hmm. to the fact Frisco's got a one and a two and their own three and things of that nature. San Francisco's corporate philosophy is just a little bit different. Uh, But a bunch of teams have cap problems. The the unique thing, John, I rewarded you because you had a good year doing this podcast, right? So going to next year, your dollar figure is high. You Mm -hmm. got a high cap figure. And if I have cap problems with everybody else around here, I have to restructure your contract, and maybe so you you defer some money. I give you some money as part of your bonus, and it's it's viewed differently with the arithmetic of the cap. So we can work next year and do this podcast under the cap because you're restructured. But two years from now, we got a real problem because mm-hmm. your cap number is going to be really high, mm-hmm. and I can't keep you at that point in time. And I'll just <laughs> replace you with no, no, the Black Lab Retriever, our executive producer. <laughs> so that that's the way the cap business works. The Chargers have a mess on their hands. Uh, they've restructured four major contracts. They're under the cap. I don't know what's going to happen with the Eckler situation. We're on the clock, but next year. Because they restructured these deals for Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, they both have cap figures of thirty million, and then they restructured Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. Mack's cap figure is going to be thirty-six. Bosa's is going to be thirty-two. Wow! That so you add up, you do the arithmetic, the math, the calculus. You got four guys counting what. Over $125 million towards next year's cap in 2024. Four guys. That's you more than half. You can't keep them all. Right. There's just no way. But, you know, didn't didn't the Chargers have like a like a cap guru guy that they've they had do. for they've had him for years, haven't they? Even when they were back here in San Diego. Yep. Um, so, yeah, there's there's got to be a lot of you know careful financial planning, um, you know, in terms of you know keeping your talent finding out when new guys can come up, it's not easy. No, it's not easy, and you have to hit on the draft, and they have. You can't make mistakes in free agency if you go outside the circle. Did they make a mistake on J.C. Jackson, $85 million package coming from New England? That doesn't look good. If I were king, I would have gone to Keenan Allen and said, you've made a lot of money in eight or nine years. You need to take a pay cut. Now, you can't do that to Mike Williams because he just – 
got into year one of a contract that he's really earned. Mm -hmm. But you could do that with Bosa. You could do that with Khalil Mack for the good of the franchise. That has not happened. They restructured the deal. But in restructuring, we're pushing all this money into 2024, and there's no way they can keep all these players in 2024. Okay, before we turn, next topic on the table will be baseball. Just remind everybody again about what's going to happen at the end of our live stream. Yeah, so the Fans Forum segment, we can get you involved. There's been a bunch of questions. Some of the guys actually online are saying, hey, how come these guys aren't answering our questions right now? We save them till the end of the podcast in the Fans Forum segment. So you can get involved, drop your live take in the live stream. Uh, and Hacksaw will answer your questions and your comments. Uh, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And when you check everything we do on the podcast, uh, not only our main podcast on Thursday, bonus podcast on Monday, and then we drop stuff in during the week, give us a thumbs up so everybody will know that you like what we're doing on our podcast. Let's talk baseball because we had a couple of quick topics to cover. Yeah, I mean, so this this Trevor Bauer news broke. Someone actually took him. Did I say about a month ago? Toxic. Yeah. Radioactive. Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned Japan and South Korea. You did. Taiwan. Trevor Bauer had four offers to go play abroad in the Pacific Rim. He signed with the Yokohama Bay Stars starting pitcher. He's in their spring training camp now. Four offers. He took their offer one year, four million base. That's pretty significant money in Japan for a major league pitcher. Uh, he still gets the $22 million that was left on his contract from the Los Angeles Dodgers. So it'll be interesting to see how he does culturally there. And he's not pitched in a game. He's not thrown a strike since June of 2021. So we'll see how he pitches in 2023. I have no doubt that he's in shape and that he's continued to work out. Now he's got to adjust to the culture of Japanese baseball, which is really different. Does he do well? Will there be fan abuse towards this guy? Do they really care if they have an 18-game winner on their staff in Yokohama? It's an interesting set of storylines. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how this is going to go down because Trevor Bauer, I mean, aside from the, the, the crisis in the sexual assault cases, you know, which may or may not have happened, there's uh, – you know, he he pops off all the time on Twitter. This guy is very boisterous. He's got, you know, big opinions. He could ruffle a lot of feathers, especially in Japan. So I'm wondering if he's going to kind of, you know, stay in his lane and kind of get through one year and hope he comes back to the Major League Baseball. This is going to be fascinating. Next international crisis brought to you by Trevor Bauer. Let's yes. talk Padre baseball. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot going down here with the pitching staff, the the the. You know, Bob Melba's got to make some big decisions here on, are they going to still have a six-man rotation? What do you think? Well, where the Padres are right now, they're getting their guys back from the World Baseball Classic. Hassan Kim is here, and uh, obviously uh, Manny Machado will be back, and then Juan Soto has had a really good WBC. Uh, Padres a little bit dinged up in the pitching staff. Uh, I'm very concerned about Adrian Morion. You know, he had so many injuries after he signed out of Cuba. As he came through the Padre farm system, I want to say he had seven different injuries in a mm. stretch from shoulder to elbow to forearm to back, things of this nature. And all of a sudden, after three appearances in the Cactus League, he com <coughs> excuse me comes off the mound and he's got discomfort in the elbow that had already been surgically repaired. So I don't know whether that's just tendonitis. We can only hope that it's just tendonitis or whether there's something else going on there, like there's something frayed or there's an impingement. Hopefully there's not a tear of the ligament. 
but they're in the midst of the MRI, and you know we're standing by to see what what the end result of that is. They've also lost Craig Stammen at age 39. He's at the end of his career. He had rehab religiously since the middle of last season with a shoulder capsule problem, making a lot of progress. I think he had thrown in three different spring training games and had done fairly well. All of a sudden, one pitch flares up on him, and they did an MRI, and he's got a tear of the capsule, and you don't come back from that at age 39. It's too bad. One of the really good guys in the clubhouse, and just just a pro's pro, very good attitude. I, I, I emailed back and forth with him this week, and it's time. Age 39, and he's made an enormous amount of money with the Washington Nationals and six-year run with the San Diego Padres, but the wear and tear factor at age 39, you wake up and all of a sudden it does not work anymore. But really good guy. Sharp mentally, intellectually. He'd be good doing TV. I don't know if he wants to do TV or whether he's going to get back and live on his farm north of Dayton, Ohio, where he's from. But that's too bad because of, of all the guys I've dealt with in the Padre Clubhouse over all the years I've been here, Tony Gwynn was in a different galaxy. Mm-hmm. I'd say I'd say the second and third best guys I ever dealt with from a player standpoint who just got it, got what we had to do and understood in the media were Chase Headley, the third baseman, who was a really good guy and had a nice run for a decade, and Craig Stammen. So too bad there, but the Morion thing really worries me. Yeah, I mean, Craig Stammen was terrific for the Padres when we first got him, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just a workhorse. He, he, was, he was an innings eater. Um, and he seems to have commanded so much respect in the clubhouse. All the young guys looked up to him as a father figure. I mean, you know, both on and off the field. I mean, this is a guy that's married and I think has three or four kids. So um, it's a shame. And it's, it's interesting, too, to hear his comments because he's so candid. He knows this is the end. Um, and he just kind of shares that out. He puts it all on the table. Morahone, I was really hopeful for, you know, a few years ago before that Tommy John surgery, he was the number five starter. I think that might have been in the COVID year, maybe. And he looked really good. I thought we're finally going to see this guy perform. And then at the end of last season, in chunks of games at the end and then in the postseason, he looked pretty dominant in the defined role of short reliever. Yeah. I mean, he, I thought, I mean, we spent a lot of money on him, 11 million plus an $11 million penalty. So hopefully he'll find a way to come back. But, you know, a little bit of a tangent on pitching. Did you see what happened to Edwin Diaz last night? Terrible. I mean, a horrible uh, injury and in, in, in a really weird circumstance. Well, the players, after, after he struck out the side in the WBC game and won and qualified to move his team on to the next round, storming out of the dugout and everybody's jumping up and down, up and down. And he jumped and he landed and his knee buckled, he tore the patella tendon. Wow. And that's, I thought he dislocated the kneecap. You couldn't really tell with so many bodies around him. All of a sudden, he was on the ground and Mm -hmm. everybody separated and was shocked. But that's an 8 to 12 month rehab. So, I mean, think about the uniqueness of the Mets and that pitching staff and they've lost a starter already and now they've lost him for the entire season with this big payroll and and the Mets have got two 40-year-old starters at the front end of the rotation. Mm-hmm. But now they've lost two other guys who are part of this whole 
relief pitching equation. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough loss for um, for the Mets and for it was Team Puerto Rico, right? So he was on. But when they were lifting him off the field, his right leg was just dangling. And that, that foot was almost like at a 60-degree angle. It was almost like his whole knee was disconnected. So feel bad for the guy. And what is just an unusual circumstance. And, you know, all the major league teams are just praying that none of their players get hurt. And then it happens in just the, the stupidest of cases. Okay, here's the loaded question. We'll just go off on a tangent for a minute. (laughs) I use the right turn signal here. Like the concept of the WBC. Uh, Don't like the timing of it in spring training. Don't like that there's too many teams in the tournament. So my theory, if I were king, let's let's break up the baseball schedule. We get to the All-Star break. Let's make the All-Star break 10 days. Let's merge the WBC teams. And everybody gets to play. We'll put a pot of gold out there and really make it a huge fan event and a social event and Mm -hmm. a media event, which would allow you to fill the pot of gold with rights fees. But what you do is you have Team USA. Then maybe you combine a team that might be Mexico, Dominican, Puerto Rico, and make that your Latin team. And then you combine Japan, Taiwan, in Korea, just call out a Pacific Rim team. And then maybe you have a global team with players make up a fourth team. Just have a four-team tournament, play at the week of the All-Star game, then play the All-Star game, Every you know, and all the stars would be there. And at that point, it's a really important event. You know, I'm sorry. We don't need a team from Italy. We don't need a team from the Netherlands and some of these other outposts. Mm-hmm. And who are some of these guys that are pitching? And then you got the pitch limits, which complicates it all, too. You know, I saw Julio Urias, the Dodgers ace. He was brilliant. First four innings. I mean, he was bringing it. Fifth inning, he ran out of gas and he got blown up for Team Mexico. You know, and he's he's pitching. He's amped and he's all out. And this is spring training he's doing this. I worry about that. If you're in midseason form and the rhythm of, of being a starting pitcher, you could do a three- or four-inning all-out start in the World Baseball Classic if you made it All-Star Week. November, it's a novel idea. You play it on Sunshine Cities, but players are so burned out, and you wouldn't get anybody from the World Series team probably in a World Baseball Classic in November. So if I were king, I wouldn't do it in the spring. I'd do it in the middle. I'd merge the teams together, and John Riley's the baseball junkies' responses. (laughs) Well, first of all, I love the WBC. I think it's a great event. It's like the World Cup. Um, It was interesting— they, they interviewed a number of the Dominican players and asked them, would you rather win the WBC or the World Series? And nearly every one of them said they would rather win the WBC because they take such pride in their nation. And the flag. And the flag. And, you know, especially if you're from like a little country like Dominican Republic that occupies half an island. So um, I, I love the idea of doing it in the middle of the year. It's kind of like how um, the English Premier League has tournaments that they take breaks for. But how about this, Hacksaw? How about, you know, if you combine the teams, like a Latin team or a Pacific Rim team, then it takes away from that national pride that some of these guys love playing for. What if you took the All-Star Week and got rid of the All-Star game completely? No, because and then and then hear me out and then make it like a two week break and still have, you know, 16, however many teams that are in this 20 teams. And then when the when we get to the finals, you know, you can still do the home run derby. You can do all that stuff. But just change this in a way to make this a legitimate 
world event. I think that would be great. I think you're making those comments from left field. Don't <laughs> don't destroy the All Star Game and all the festivities around the All Star Game. Baseball's done a really good job compared to the NFL Pro Bowl, the NBA three point shooting contest, All Star Weekend, and the NHL shooting gallery. Baseball's All Star Game has a lot of history and integrity going back mm-hmm. to the 1930s. So, don't you dare screw with the All-Star game itself. But I I think if you can compact the schedule, merge the teams, and really make it a mega event, stay tuned for that. All right, a couple more topics here before we go to Fans Forum. You wanted to talk about the World Cup USA Soccer in the latest chapter. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting topic because it's been quiet for a long time. We've got a number of people online that are asking about the U.S. men's national team. So what's the latest news on Coach Burhalter? U.S. Soccer Federation on Wednesday released the 17-page in-depth report, the investigation into Greg Burhalter, and then what happened after that. Just a brief background. Burhalter in 1991 was a soccer star at North Carolina. He was involved with a woman soccer star at North Carolina. Carolina. They were had a relationship. There was a drinking incident in a bar. They went out on the street to argue. And the report says, because I read it, she punched him in the face first. He turned around and kicked her and she fell. He promptly reported it to the coach at North Carolina. He promptly entered a counseling program for anger management. And the story went dormant. They wound up marrying each other, have a family and been together since 1991. So we get to the World Cup in Qatar, and he's got all these players he's brought together, and Team USA is rebuilt and qualified, and they get to go to the knockout round. And he sits one of the young stars, Gio Reyna, son of Claudio Reyna, who's a teammate of Greg's at North Carolina and a teammate on Team USA. Well, this does not go down well with the Reyna family. Gio hardly plays at all. It's big blow up has to apologize to his teammates in Qatar for not training hard, not being in game shape, blah, 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 blah. So then we find out after after the tournament, all of a sudden the story about the Burhalter assault of his future-to-be wife in North Carolina gets public. And we found out that Giorena's mother, who's a close friend with Greg's wife, leaked it. Leaked wow. it. Wow. And now the further investigation, we find out that Claudio Reyna had been in constant contact with U.S. Soccer Federation over the years over their treatment of the teenage kid, how to develop him, where he's placed, practice, what happens in games, relationship with coaches. The general manager of Team USA just quit. He's gone back to the Netherlands, Ernie Stewart. He told the USF... Uh, Soccer Federation lawyers in the investigative uh, progress that the Reyna family has been nonstop trouble since that kid was 16. Kid's now 21. (laughs) That this, quote, family from hell, the soccer family, was creating all these issues. Mm -hmm. So that story was just released in the U.S. report. They say Burhalter is now under consideration to be retained as the head coach, although there's not been a contract offered yet. And to top it all off, today from London, England, Christian Pulisic went public, saying everything the Reyna family did to impact that coach was childish. It was irresponsible. Pulisic says, this is a good coach who's molded this thing, brought us all back together. 
He should be rehired. I wish that it never happened. So it'll be interesting to see if they bring him back. Berhalter retains the job. How can you have a relationship with the Reina family? And then the wild card in the whole thing is Reina is dual citizenship. He could go play across the border for Team Mexico and their new coaching staff. But I I think he gets along with virtually all the players, despite what happened in Qatar. That's a long explanation of where we are, but that's a soccer story. It's terrible. It goes back to 1991. The Reina family, to me, looks really bad in this. Soccer parents from Hill. Yeah, it's just like youth sports where, you know, my both of my kids played soccer, played softball, basketball, baseball. And there was always that one family with a crazy dad or a crazy mom that would be berating the coach. And, you know, there might have been a circumstance where I was one of those crazy parents. But uh, that happens, you know, and but you never really see it play out on this level, this level. Usually by the time they get they grow up after after high school, it calms down. Um, but wow, what a what a soap opera. Um, you know, so let's see what happens with Bearhalter's future. He seems like he's deserving of keeping his job. Yeah, I think we'll get a resolution to this probably within the next four weeks. One other topic on the table. Good old boys not doing very good. Yeah. NASCAR. Is, this is an interesting story because we've talked about the comparisons between NASCAR and F1. And there are some very strict rules on what you can and cannot do in each of these different racing formats. And now someone got busted for maybe breaking the rules. Well, Rick Hendricks, one of legendary owners, champion. Uh, points championships, team championships, owners championships. He's got four hot cars. They all did well in Phoenix, the Phoenix 500 last week. Well, there's post-race inspections for the cars, and they found what they call illegal levers, which are air intake levers that are in the hood of the car that helps airflow into the car, sucks the car to the ground. They found four illegal air intake lids on these cars. I don't know how they got there. I don't know how Hendricks crew chiefs thought they could pass inspection with these things. They just suspended the crew chiefs of all four teams for a month. They stripped each guy of a hundred points. They find each crew chief a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. They find Hendrick, the owner, four hundred points and another hundred thousand dollars. And they find the drivers $100,000. It's the biggest mass sanctioning of anybody in NASCAR history. How could you think you could cheat and not get caught in post-race inspection? I mean, it's staggering. And Hendricks has such a phenomenal reputation as an investor and as an owner. There's has built all these cars for all these winners of the championships. It's a stunning story. Yeah, I mean, this is incredible because, um, you know, the whole, that was the thing. Remember, like, we're talking about Days of Thunder, you know, and, and when the, the, the race car driver played by Tom Cruise, he comes over to, to NASCAR and the, 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 the crew chief was telling him, yeah, all these cars are supposed to be the same. You know, they're not like the open wheel Indy cars. So, it's interesting that these guys are trying to find loopholes, you know. It's like, you know, your your old colleague Jim Rome. He says if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. <laughs> but how it, it, you would imagine that uh, the, the those inspections would be rigorous. And how could you be such a doofus to think you can get away with something I like mean, that? I'm I've been a NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula 1 fan my whole life. I grew up in NASCAR. I've never seen anything like this to this magnitude. 
Yeah. That's a big, big issue. Okay, time for Fans Forum. You got questions. We think we got answers. Uh, We do this at the end of every one of our podcasts. John, you're the one that's looking at all the questions. Pick one. Yeah, we got a bunch here. So um, this here's a good one here from Steve uh, Zach Botsford. He says, San Diego State with the win. Hope they can make it to the third round. Well, John had the the ideal comment. They now have an alley to get to the third round. Hey, you're Furman, South Carolina. You're Furman. You live off the three. Good luck, Furman, facing all this defense that San Diego State's going to hit you with out beyond the arc. And then what they're going to do in terms of banging on bodies if you try to go to the basket. I mean, they took Charleston right out of the game with their defense. And Charleston never recovered. You know, I'll go back to the, the statistic. Charleston was hitting 10 threes per night, every night. They went 5-for-24 against the Aztecs. So the alleyway to get to the Sweet 16 is right there. Yeah, it's right in front of them. So good on these guys. So hopefully they get to play Furman. Maybe they can get past Furman. And then who you're looking at next, most likely Alabama. Cinderella story, you know, hopefully this is going to work out well for Brian Dutcher and the boys. No, they got one win. You got to have two before you can have a winning streak. On we go. Next question. Okay, so uh, this is from the turd in the background, and this is a soccer comment. He says Greg Bearhalter has the greatest winning percentage in U.S. men's national team history when fielding a team with an average age of under twenty six years old. Oh, you're correct. And the whole blueprint when he finally got the job was, we're going to build this with the best young American players, and we will put them on the pitch. We will force feed them, and they will grow. Well, outside of the injury to Pulisic in the World Cup at the end, they grew, and they were really competitive. And yes, they did get to the knockout round. So that was a step forward in this program. And the whole game plan, build it, young guys, play them, get them better, and then we'll take this group to 2026. And they've got, they've got firepower, goal scorers. they got really young pups. I mean, they still got to solve the Giorena problem. They stood, They got Ricardo Pepe. They got the young guy, Zendejas, who could either be wearing red, white, and blue or be the guy wearing the colors for El Tri in Mexico. So they've, they've got all these young guys here in place, and that's all Berhalter's doing. Yeah, I'm excited for the U.S. men's national team. Like you said, they went young for this World Cup cycle. 2026 will be special, played here in North America. So I think we're looking at, you know, rosy pastures ahead for the U.S. team. Okay, on we go. Next question. On we go. So let's go to some of these YouTube comments. We've got some good ones that have come in here. And it's a lot of it. This is about the Austin Eckler deal. You know, should they keep them? Should they trade them? And from uh, Dina, she says, um, Eckler has been the most consistent running back on the Chargers roster. Spiller, Kelly, Sony Mitchell, Roundtree, etc. did nothing for the Chargers. Chargers wouldn't be 10-7 and 7 if it wasn't for Austin. Just pay the man. Well, I concur with you. They got a salary cap problem, though, because of what they gave all these other, quote, star players, and you can't keep all these players together. You know, one of the solutions would be you owe us one more year on your contract at 6.2 mil. You play that contract. And then we'll see. Well, then next year they could always franchise tag him. And next year's franchise tag with the running back is going to be about $12 million. But be, be the point here, to get to that point there, you might have a really unhappy player. And I don't know if you want to have that. Uh, but I wouldn't trade him. I'd find a way 
If I were king, chapter three, <laughs> I go to Khalil Mack and I go to Joey Bosa and I go to Keenan Allen. You made a lot of money. I need you to take a pay cut so I can keep this running back here because we're all about the team holding it together so we can win. I would not trade him because I guarantee you, you're not going to get an Austin Eckler who's a perfect fit for all things Justin Herbert in the draft. And I don't think you're going to get a guy like that as productive as that. Over 7,700 all-purpose yards in his career. You're not going to get him in free agency because of the cost situation. And none of those guys are out there on the marketplace anyhow. So why would, you know, Khalil Mack or Joey Bosa, they might say, hey, man, I got a contract. I'm an all-pro. I ain't taking a pay cut for this guy. You know, they might say that. But then what would the Chargers do? Release him? We call their bluff? Well, they they wouldn't release the players. They wouldn't release Mac nor Bosa because they take a monster cap hit. Mm -hmm. They they would trade Eckler. But how are you a better team a week from Monday if you trade Austin Eckler away? You're not going to replace him in the draft. And there's hardly any free agent running backs out there on on the marketplace. So um, they created this because of all the money they gave these guys. They can solve this. Some of those guys got to give the money back to give it to Eckler because he's, as she says, key component to Justin Herbert's offense. Next question. You got a 56-man roster. I mean, how do you fit them all in? Okay, so this is from Jeff Neal, and he he has a totally different opinion. He says, this is not the time to give big money to an aging back. It's better to part ways too early rather than too late. I'd like the Chargers to move up a couple of positions in order to draft B. John Robinson with their first-round selection. These third-round reaches for overachievers has got to stop. This is a critical skill position that demands the investment of a first-round pick. A year too early makes sense if you're talking about somebody that's 31 or 32 and has 100,000 miles on the tires. We're talking 26-year-old running back here. We're not talking about an aged, beat-up guy has got an injury history that's making mega dollars. This is not Ezekiel Elliott. He's a perfect fit for all the things they do. They've tried really hard to find a second back to complement that perfect fit, have not been able to do it. And Bijan Robinson out of Texas is probably going to go inside the top 15. Well, trading from 23 into the top 15, that's going to cost you multiple picks. I don't know. I don't know that I would do that. Give the man the money. Period. <laughs> exclamation point, at least for the next year. Okay. So let's uh, move on. I got some Aztec comments here, too. And this is from Chris. And he says, 2015 was the last NCAA tournament win for the Aztecs. And granted, this is a YouTube comment he made a few days ago. But the local media spend all their time patting them on the back. Hopefully, they'll get a couple of wins this year. Well, they got one in their pocket, and you got to get one before you can go get two. But the guys at CBS. I'm sorry, I went haywire today watching the pregame show. Every one of those studio guys, all they talked about was College of Charleston. Please pay attention. (laughs) Quit treating these guys like Rodney Dangerfield. They have earned 28 wins, and they did it with defense. Yeah, I mean, so these, yeah, you're right. They deserve the respect. Now, hopefully now they get the win. We can, we can you know, give the team some deserved love. Here's another comment here about the Aztecs. This is from Michael Dabbler. He says, great show, like always. Love the coverage you do on Aztec basketball. I agree. I think this year we get some wins in the tournament and a bit of respect. I know next season is a ways off, but I'm thinking Mr. Brian Dutcher is losing a lot of his team. What do you hear in the recruiting front for building next year's team in future? 
I know the more you win, the easier it usually is. Thanks a lot, guys. Well, they lose a bunch of the bigs because all these guys have, have pretty much expired all the COVID extra uh, years that they had to stay at San Diego State. But they have a pipeline of young guys. They got a couple of young recruits that redshirt as freshmen this year, have hardly played at all. Elijah Saunders among them. Those guys will grow. But they'll be a much younger basketball team. And obviously, they're going to lose some guards, too. I mean, uh, Matt Bradley's had a, a really nice college career, and he's gone, and Arup is gone, uh, Siku is gone. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with Tremel or the other guys who could come back for an additional year, but uh, historically they've always done a great job replacing the veterans who were the cornerstones when they had good seasons. Yeah, I mean, there's some really exciting uh, uh, players that have been selected, or, or they've signed letters of intent. There's one guy, I think it was from up in Modesto. He's a mm-hmm. really good player. Um, and you know, I'd like to see Miles Bird. I want to see what he can do. Elijah Saunders, I think, could be a very interesting player. He's, I mean, really tall. When they were doing the team photo there in um, Orlando, I was like shocked to see how tall he was relative to everybody else. But Keisha Johnson is a guy that he participated in the senior uh, senior night, but he could still stick around for another COVID year. Is he ready to move on to the next level? You know, selfishly, I'd love for him to stay, but he's a great kid, and I, I think I'm looking forward to his future. And keep in mind, transfer portal is still out there, and that window will open again. And historically, every year. They go get good guys to bring them in. Any more questions there? Well, I got a question for you, Hacksaw. Who do you like in the Final Four? I can't argue against the number ones, the seeds. Mm-hmm. I can't argue about the way Kansas is playing. Houston's got an injury in the backcourt that scares me because their guard, Sasser, makes a whole different thing happen when they're there. Alabama, uh, the the gun controversy with Brandon Moore is still out there. Uh, enormous criticism that Alabama should have removed him from the team during the course of the investigation, even though he's never been charged. But if he drove a car that had a gun in it and somebody else took that gun and killed that woman, how does he not get charged with being an accomplice? Because he knew there was a weapon in the vehicle, even if he did not hand it. Uh, to Darius Miles, who then handed it to the shooter. Uh, For the first time, CBS's studio analysts kind of all talked about that today in the pregame show, and they all said he should have been removed for a a period of time. But Bama's really good, and that's a really good player that may have positioned himself as either the second or third choice in the upcoming NBA draft. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because Alabama, you always think of them as a football school. I'll tell you what, Lee, my my bracket's already destroyed. (laughs) I mean, besides the fact that I, you know, almost everyone in the world had Arizona beating Princeton. But my heart was rooting for the, the Mountain West teams. I had Nevada going to the round of 32. They're gone. I picked Utah State. They're gone. I picked West Virginia to beat Maryland. That didn't work well, out. You're on a bad streak. Oh, it's been a tough. It's been really tough. So and, and then I like most other people, I had Virginia beating Furman. So but am I, I have a Purdue beating Kansas in the final. The only so. only concern I have about Purdue is are they athletic enough to handle all these other teams and got all these guys that play racehorse basketball? I mean, Edie is just a tremendous seven foot four specimen, but they got so many people that play above the rim and, and get up and down the floor. It's going to be fascinating, but. Yeah, I'm sorry that you're old for the weekend so far. 
Well, I picked the Aztecs, so we got that one going for us. Hey, listen, we appreciate you being with us every Thursday. A reminder, we do bonus coverage on Mondays. Please subscribe when you watch our podcast. Give us a thumbs up so everybody knows that you really like what we're doing. And again, circle back. Check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. It is all written. It's in-depth coverage of all sports especially focused on March Madness, as well as this week's wild couple of days in NFL free agency. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. We'll check with you. Bonus coverage come Monday. Yeah, this is one of the best sports weekends of the year. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.